tongues, and I'm going to take you over to a couple of scriptures, and we're going to highlight why it's so important for us to have a proper uh, conviction concerning the truth of the Word of God. And folks, you're looking at one pastor that believes that I'm holding the preserved Word of God in my hand. I believe it is inerrant. I believe it can be trusted. I believe that it is the sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. The, mar the notes in the margins are not inerrant. Okay? The study Bible that you have with whatever John MacArthur or David Jeremiah or Charles Swindoll or Joyce Meyer or whoever did commentary in your Bible, that's not inerrant because it was penned by finite, sinful human beings, right? But what's between those margins is the Word of God, and it can be trusted. And you mark my words, and when we get to heaven, you'll see that what I'm saying is so, okay? And that is that there are no gray areas in the Bible, only between our ears. Okay? There are no gray areas in the Bible, only between our ears. The problem is not with what God said. The, promise is with, the problem is with our understanding of it sometimes. And that's where we need to really pray and not just read the Word of God casually and, and, and not trivialize the great truth of God by by not doing it the honor and justice that it deserves. And so, boy, that was a good introduction, wasn't it? The Bible says in verse 20 of Ephesians 3, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Lord God, help us in this time together to glean from your word that truth that is timeless and immutable and that will never pass away. And this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. We've been talking about giving God the glory in the church or glorifying God in the church, and that is really God's purpose and plan for the church in every age is that we bring him glory now as you read the book of revelation you'll discover there in chapters two and three that there are seven letters written to seven churches in asia minor and those seven churches represent seven distinct distinct periods of time in church history okay and so those are different ages church ages in church history that's what they represent we are currently in the last age of church history the Laodicean church age we're at the very end of this dispensation of time biblically and uh, the Laodicean church age but God's will is revealed here. It says, unto him be glory in the church 
by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. So from the beginning period of time, the first century church, all the way to the last century church, throughout every one of those ages, God's desire for the church has not changed. It is that throughout all ages, world without end, we would give God the glory. That we would render glory and honor to the Lord. Now I want to ask you a question. How many of you are like me and there are some things in your past life that you're not too proud of? Let me see your hand. And you've made some choices over the course of time that you'd really not like to put on a resume, right? And the fact is this, that God is using people like you and like me. And people might look at us and think, you know, I wouldn't pick you to do anything knowing what you have in your past. Well, listen, if God can use us to accomplish His work and it's an enduring work, who gets the credit for that? Well, it's God. It's God that does. And so God's will is for those whom He has called. And the Bible tells us that God hath chosen some pretty strange things. Did you know that? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. So the Jeff Bezoses and, and uh, the Bill Gates and the big name politicians of the world, they're not the ones that are leading the charge against the gates of hell. Do you understand that? But, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised. Might you at some point in your life consider yourself in that category? As someone that was despised by somebody or many somebodies? The despised have God chosen, yay, and things which are not. In other words, people that said, I don't have what it takes, I can't do it. So God took your nothingness, and what did He do with it? Took the things which are not, why? To bring to naught, to make nothing out of what people thought was substantive. People that thought they had what it took, you see. When D.L. Moody got saved and got excited about the things of the Lord, he went to the leaders of the church there in Chicago and said, I, I, I want to serve the Lord. And they, and they recognized his zeal and they didn't want to throw cold water upon his fire for the Lord. And so they thought, well, he can't do any harm teaching fifth grade boys. So he gave him a fifth grade boys Sunday school class. And so he started winning fifth and sixth grade boys to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he got the idea that I'll start bringing them to church in, a, in an old wagon. And so he hitched up a team of horses and started bringing people. It was the first uh, bus ministry in the history of our country. And pretty soon there were more fifth and sixth grade boys at the church than there were of all other ages put together, you see. And it wasn't long before uh, they built the great Moody Tabernacle. But they thought, well, 
you know, what can an old shoemaker do that doesn't have any formal training? And the fact is that God took the things that were not. In other words, people said he doesn't have anything to offer. He doesn't have any formal training. And what did he do? He made nothing out of what people thought was really something. And that's what God wants to do. And here's why, my friend. It says in verse 29 that no flesh should glory in His presence. God's will for our church is to give God the glory, to render glory to Him. But He doesn't want us taking any of the credit for what He does. That no flesh should glory in His presence. I have an idea, my friends, that I'm talking to some people tonight that feel like I don't have anything that I can offer. All right, I talked to a man who... Uh, not long ago, said, Pastor, I am not the same person I was a year ago. I'm, I, I, I'm dealing with some issues of sin in my life that weren't there a year ago, and I, my attitude is not right. And, and, and he made this statement, I don't think I have anything to offer anymore. No, that's just a guy God wants to use. Not that God wants to take sin and use that, no. But God wants to take the guy that doesn't think he's all that and a bag of chips, who doesn't think that it's because of his training and his pedigree and his purity and his piety that he's being used of God. He, God wants to take someone that says, I'm a nothing, so that he can make nothing out of those that think they're really something. And I'm going to tell you something. You're looking at somebody that's a nothing. And you know, I want to just make myself available to the Lord so that He can get a lot of credit for what He does. And, and that I say, look, I understand this. In verse 30, of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. You know what? I'm of Him, right? Who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? He's that for me because I don't have it. That according as it is written... He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let him glory in the Lord. How many of you have ever thought, I don't have anything to offer? I don't know what, what I've got that the work of the Lord needs so much. How many of you have ever been there? Okay, you're just the candidate God wants to use. Why? He wants to use people that are not going to try to take the credit for what he does. He wants to take nothing and bring to nothing that which thinks it's something. So if you have ever thought you were a nothing in the economy of God, understand, if you were the only one on planet earth that needed saving, Jesus would have come just to save you. You are of inestimable value and infinite worth to Almighty God. And so He wants to take a humble-hearted person that doesn't think in this flesh they have much to offer and just use it to His own glory. And, and, and folks, we need to understand that. We talked about glorifying God through the Scriptures because that's the only proper way that glory can be rendered to Him when we do it according to how He said do it. Right? 
Otherwise, it's our own ideology about how glory can be rendered. And ultimately, it convolutes it and brings glory back to flesh because we created a method to do God's will instead of following God's method as prescribed in His Word. We talked about giving God the glory uh, through our uh, sacrifice and giving our bodies a, as a living sacrifice. And when we give Him our, our everything, our, our life, whatever we possess comes along with that. We talked last week about glorifying Him through our service. And God desires for every one of us to be actively involved in the service of the King. But I want you to, to look in 1 Corinthians. I think you're probably there in chapter 3 uh, or perhaps chapter 1. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, would you turn there with me uh, tonight? I'm talking about the fact that God wants us to bring Him glory. And in verse number 19, we read a familiar verse that says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, what's the next word? Glorify God in your what? Body and in your what? Spirit, which are God's. Okay. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, I, I just want to say to you that if we go all the way back to the beginning of the creation, we will discover where that God said, let us make man in our own image. So, the very conversation that the Godhead was having together teaches us that there is a trinity. It teaches us that, there, that God exists in three persons. There is a, a plurality in the headship of God. And what we know is that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many of you are with me on that to this point? Okay, And the Bible gives us a myriad of passages that bear that out. Okay, And so we can even just look at uh, many of the, of the great passages of the Scripture that give testimony to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of people, by the way, that are very famous televangelists that reject that doctrine of the Trinity out of hand. Did you know that? Uh, I, I, I was talking to Brother, I think it was Brother Randy, um, last Tuesday night, he was telling me that uh, T.D. Jakes doesn't believe in the Trinity. And, uh, and I said, you know, I don't, I don't read after him and I don't watch him, so someone else would have to tell me that because I don't study televangelists, you know, unless they're messing with the sheep in my 40 acres. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and then, then I'm going to find out what in the world they're teaching and trying to feed. And, and I'm just going to tell you, we have a lot of people that through the season of COVID have started eating uh, out of other troughs and drinking out of other cisterns and they're getting sick. But man, are they ever having fun doing it? You know, 
And, and the fact is that uh, they, they, they need to just go, go to the trough that God led them to and let the shepherd who cares for them and knows them, not, not the guy that preaches to you know, two million people and, and you know, lives in a seven million dollar palace you know, on the beach in Florida and has a, has a Learjet and, and is constantly begging for money because they're going to go out of business next week. You know, that guy doesn't even know your name. You think he cares for you? He cares about making his mortgage, you know, his, his you know, $10,000 mortgage payment and, and, make, and buying fuel, jet fuel for his Learjet. You know, folks, I was born in the night, but it wasn't last night, right? And, and so, I, you know, I've been to two you know, calf ropings in a county fair. And I'm just saying that I, I, I kind of realize that there's more to all this than what some people, they just kind of go along, you know, just like a lamb to the slaughter and just thinking that everything that glitters is golden. Folks, it's time for us to wake up and be discerning and to search the scriptures to see whether certain things be so, just like the church uh, in Berea did. And what we what we have to understand is this, that when God said, let us make man in our own image, he revealed that he, was, he existed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So when he made man, he didn't make him to be flesh and bone, meaning that that was the image of God. Because Jesus revealed very specifically to the woman at the well that God is a spirit. In John chapter 4, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the Bible tells us clearly that know ye not that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So look, it's not the flesh and blood that that Jesus died to save. He made us in his image three parts. Okay, what what is that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So what did he do? He made us spirit, soul, body. Spirit, body, soul. Now, and, and each part of who we are relates to a part of who God is. And all of it should be yielded to His greater purpose. And one of the things that I want you to understand is that's not just some isolated thing that I dreamed up one day and thought was a good idea to say. The Bible says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And it's a little less. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's, he says, your spirit, which are God's. And do you know what it's really uh, relating to us? It's relating to us that it is our soul. It is our mind, our attitude, our disposition. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says in the book of Romans and chapter number 8 that the carnal mind is enmity uh, against God. In verse 6 it says to be carnally minded is death. Verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. So there are three enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, there, There's that worldly, fleshly, devilish philosophy that wants to pervade our minds. And when we allow that to take place, our thoughts are totally juxtaposed 
to the plan of God for our life. Okay? When we allow devilish, worldly, and carnal thoughts to pervade our minds, we will, in our thoughts, be entirely at enmity with God. That's the carnal mind. To be carnally minded is death. The, the carnal mind is enmity with God. Now, folks, those that are lost who are outside of Jesus Christ don't have the spirit or the mind of God. But we that are saved do. But friends, you have to choose to allow your spirit to be renewed in the inner man, even as the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4. And that's talking about the soul of us. Now, I want to just I want to give you a little lesson in this because it's really important for us to understand how do we glorify God in our spirit if we don't even understand how that functions, okay? Because it's not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can influence it, okay? The Holy Spirit we read there in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it dwells within our body, which is the temple of the Spirit of the living God that dwells within us. But I want you to understand this. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That is a beautiful passage that reveals man as a three-part being created in the image of God. You say, how so, Pastor? Number one, it is God which worketh in you. How does God minister to me? He ministers to me in the Spirit. Now, my spirit was alive once in Adam. Your spirit was alive once in Adam. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, For as in Adam all die. Right? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Wherefore as by one man... Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So I was alive once in Adam, but after the fall, I died. My spirit died. And let me just say this. That is who you fundamentally are, is a spirit. A spirit. You have a soul, and the spirit and the soul live in the body. Okay? Now, recognize this. It is God which worketh in you, Philippians 2.13. How does He do that? In my spirit. He doesn't work in the spirit of the lost because their spirit is still dead. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, You hath He quickened, that means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So what did the Spirit of the living God quicken or make alive? Well, He made my spirit alive at the moment of conversion. So that's the part of me that God is speaking to. It is God which worketh in you, in my spirit. Both to will, okay? That's the soul of me. So God, by His Spirit, speaks to my heart in the inner man, okay? And He reveals His will to me. And I begin to think about what God is revealing to my heart and impressing upon me to do. And so I'm thinking about it, and, 
and I, I, I have to purpose to do it, both to will. Okay, that means that I have choices to make. So I have to think about decisions that I make. And then it says, it is God which worketh in you, that's in the spirit, both to will, that's the soul, and to do, that's the body of his good pleasure. So God may speak to your heart uh, in a service, and you say, I need to really get to know God through his word. And you, you, you begin thinking about what that's going to look like, and that you need to have a Bible available, maybe put a Bible program on your phone or your tablet that makes it handier for you to have more access to the truth, and you begin to think on what that's going to look like. But you know what? God plants that thought in your spirit. You think about it in your soul, and then you carry it out when you open the Bible and you actually begin to take it in through the eye gate, right? With your body. Are you with me? Say amen. Okay, good. So that's the soul of you, and here's what... Here's what our soul consists of, all right? Um, Our thinker, our feeler, and our chooser, okay? That's our mind, our emotions, and our will. Our mind, our emotions, and our will. Now, if we're carnally, if we... If we allow this world system, even though we have the mind of Christ, even though we have the spirit of the living God, we can still be influenced by the world of flesh and the devil and think in a carnal fashion, though we have the capacity to hear from heaven and to think on those things. Okay, How many of you know what I'm talking about here? How many of you confess that there have been some times in the last probably 72 hours uh, where you had some stinking thinking going on. Let me see your hand. Had a little bit of stinking thinking. Maybe you were discouraged. Maybe you were angry. Maybe you were bitter. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, you felt insulted. Maybe, I, I don't know. But, but you had some stinking thinking going on. Maybe, maybe there were some perverse thoughts. I don't know about you, but I can look back to times in my life where I was really trying to focus on God and I was really working hard to try to keep the mind of Christ and be fervent in prayer. And, and I get down on my knees to pray, and my mind would be filled with the worst thoughts. And I begin to dwell on people that hurt my feelings, you know. And I get carried away. And, and, and thinking about that when I was really supposed to be going into the season of prayer. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard from many men who say that, you know, they go bumping along through their life and God speaks to their heart about becoming man of prayer or whatever. They get on their, hand, on their hands and knees and begin to pray. And images of pornography that they viewed 30 years ago pop into their head. That's how the devil works. Don't you hate the devil? I despise him. You know, the fact is that we have the spirit. We have the mind of Christ. But we can still be influenced by the world and the flesh and the devil to think in ways that put our doings and our goings at enmity, that means against, set us against God, right? So our mind, our will, and our emotions, and or our mind, emotion, emotions, our will, our thinker, our feeler, and our chooser constitute our soul. And by the way, there are many uh, references in the scripture, I'm sorry I'm taking so long explaining this, but you know, we can, we're not on anybody's clock right now, are we? Do I have to get done with this one tonight? Is anybody, okay, good. Uh, we'll, we'll probably finish it up another night. But let me just say this, okay? There are many instances to the flesh, okay? 
the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Okay, are you with me? Galatians chapter 5, does it not say that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh? And these two are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So what's happening? There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, what is the flesh? Is it just my body? No. The flesh there consists of, of course, my body, but as well, my soul, as I am functioning in self-sufficiency, as I am thinking worldly and carnal thoughts, as I am allowing the devil to pervade my thought life with those things that are contrary to God's will for my life. So my mind, my emotions, and my will uh, can be negatively influenced by the world of flesh and the devil. And so, uh, look, that's all going to fight against the Spirit. So understand this, that there are many references to the flesh, and the flesh, in those cases, is not only your physical body, but your soul as you function in self-sufficiency, being drawn away from the mind of Christ by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so it's going to fight against what God wants you to do always. God wants you to bring Him glory. The devil wants you to glorify your own self. God wants you to be a living sacrifice. The devil wants you to have others sacrifice for you. Do you understand? Uh, look, God's work says, I, I, I want you to give me of your time. And the devil wants you to believe that you don't have any time to give. And it's unreasonable of, of Christian people to expect you out of a busy schedule to carve out some time down at the church. You see, the flesh lusts us against the spirit. It's striving against it. These two are contrary the one to the other. God wants us to glorify him in our spirit. It, it is our attitude, our disposition, our emotional life. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. People that are constantly feeding on the things of this world, when they get around those who are feeding on the things of God, there's going to be a dissonance in their spirit. And you know what? Oftentimes, they're not going to be real happy about that. Because those people that are feeding on the things of the Lord are, are determining to be the light of the world. And those who are constantly feeding on the things of this world are, are choosing, though they are a child of the light, to live as though they were a child of darkness. And when someone shines the light, they don't like it. Right? And the Bible says if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. So look, Here's what happens. Then they get down in the dumps. They get discouraged. And you know what? They got a sour puss, and they take it out on everybody in their pathway. So in other words, their little s spirit is having an overall negative effect upon the work of the Lord. Because they're holding God's work, His word, His people, the schedule of the church, you name it, in a dim light and in a dim view. I think about what the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews. And, and we'll wrap this up and put a bow on it in just a minute. Um, but in the book of Hebrews, and we know this, but I want to read it to you. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke, 
That means to stir you up, okay, unto love and to good works. In other words, to be more fervent in your love for God and to be more dedicated in your service to God. To be more fervent in your love for God and more dedicated in your service to God. That's what we're to do for everybody else and, and hope that they do for us too. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. So what that means is, I'm not going to quit going to church. Okay, period. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Do you know what the word exhort here means? To encourage. Be an encourager. But exhorting one another, and so much the more, the Bible says, as you see the day approaching. So, in other words, we're going to get together more often as the return of the Lord draws nigh. We're not going to taper down because of COVID and all these things and we're having a hard time. No, that's the very time where we need to gather. That's the very time where we need the church of the living God. And so we need to do it more often as, as persecution comes upon the church. That's when we need to get together to encourage and uplift our brethren. But if I have a sour attitude and I'm always down in the dumps, how am I going to contribute with a positive spirit to rendering glory to the Lord? All I'm going to do is bring everybody around me down. Now, the answer is not, well, I'm just going to stay home then. You know, if, you know, because my mama said, you know, and she saw it in a movie once, if you can't say something nice, then don't say nothing. You know, I, I'm... I'm glad that you watched Bambi when you were a kid, you know, but the fact is that, listen, Bambi is not inspired of the, of the Lord. You understand? The Bible says, don't, don't forsake the assembling as a matter of some is, okay? You don't stay home because you got a sour push. You go because you have one, right? Let me say that again. You don't stay home because you have a sour push. You go because you have one, right? So that... God, by His Spirit and through His Word, can help to correct it, right? The other day I was talking to Phoebe. Uh, she was getting a little attitude and I said, you know what, sweetie, you need a checkup from the neck up, right? You need an attitude adjustment right now. And, uh, and, and the fact of the matter is that we need sometimes to come into the house of the Lord to have our mind renewed and our hearts and minds washed with the pure water of the Word of God so that we get back on God's plan for our life rather than feasting off of the whole ideology that this world wants to feed us with that will lead us to have a sour attitude towards God's people and towards His work. God wants you to glorify Him with your attitude with your disposition. Now, I'm just going to say, when I was a kid, we watched a lot of, a lot of cartoons. I, I realized that a lot of cartoons that we watched back in the day are no longer politically correct. The cancel culture has canceled a lot of really, uh, you know, popular cartoons we watched. You know, what are some of them they've canceled? What? Pepe Le Pew. Because he was a womanizer, because he was a misogynist, and, and I mean, we, we we go on and on with this, right? And uh, listen, the cancel culture has just gone nuts. You know, Dr. Seuss. Come on, guys. I mean, you know, we need to cancel Dr. Fauci, not Dr. Seuss. You know, I mean, I, I, listen. But but here's here's my point. Okay, 
when I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of a lot of cartoons, just like you did, and it was kind of my Saturday morning routine. You know, after I ate my Cheerios, I'd watch a few cartoons, and then you know we'd have to do our chores, and then we got on our bikes and we were gone for the next twelve hours. <laughs> you know, until until we got hungry or got dark. You know, and and uh, but, but but here's the thing: I, I remember watching a cartoon that was The Adventures of Gulliver. How many of you remember watching The Adventures of Gulliver? Now, our kids today would watch that and and be bored to tears by it, you know, because it's not bombs blowing up, bad language, and and people insulting their parents, you know, every five seconds in the program, you know. It actually had a little plot to it, and people had to think it out, and it had some artistry to it. But the fact is that there was a character from Lilliput that always had his hat pulled down over his eyes, and... Gulliver used to carry these little Lilliputans in his shirt pocket, right? And whenever they would get into a tight spot, the fellow with the hat pulled down over his eyes would always say this, We'll never make it. We're never going to make it. I don't know if his name was Thomas. You know, but that was Thomas, the disciple, wasn't it? I mean, he was always, we're never going to make it, Lord. We don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. We'll never make it, you know. Or I won't believe it unless I can touch your hands. Come on now, you know, I mean, just go with me on this. But, you know, look, that guy was always a buzzkill. He was always trying to bring everybody down. And, you know, listen, there are people like that in the church, too. (coughs) You know, that, you know, the first time we have two or three offerings in succession that are below the budget, people are like, well, I don't see how we can keep supporting these missionaries for very long. You know, and all of a sudden, <coughs> they want to cut off their nose to spite their face because the minute we start canceling, start adopting the cancel culture based upon fear to stop doing the thing for which we exist, we're doomed. We're doomed. Sometimes I think, you know what, listen, <laughs> things are so bad financially, I think we ought to add another missionary so that we can just go out so far on a limb that the only way we're going to get rescued is if God does it. And then He gets all the glory and honor. Instead of listen to all the naysayers that say, we'll never make it. We can't support the missionaries. You know, we can't afford to buy gas for the buses, and these kids aren't going to put any money in the offering plate. You know, listen, I'm going to tell you something. We don't run buses because we want kids to put money in the offering plate. We run buses because people need the Lord. You understand? And, and look, we didn't start it as a money maker. We aren't staying in it as a money maker. The fact is, it doesn't make any money. Right? But I'm going to tell you something. It's not a cost. It's an investment. And we're going to clip coupons off of that throughout the endless ages of eternity. And so when someone becomes a naysayer, don't let them get in your head. Because it's going to affect your spirit. And God wants us to glorify Him in our spirit. We need to have an outlook that says, you know what, listen, I don't know where it's coming from, but I believe God's going to deliver it. I'm almost done tying the bow here, and we'll go home. Let me just say, 
about three or four weeks ago, I had COVID. I can't remember how long ago it was now, but something like that. About, about a month, okay? And um, something like that. And, and, and I, you know, we were laid aside for a couple weeks in quarantine, didn't feel good. And one day when I had a vertigo really bad and I couldn't stand up, I, I was dry heaves and I just, I felt wretched. I was, you know, praying for sleep or death, whichever came first, I didn't matter. I just wanted to be delivered. And, uh, and during that, my phone was ringing, people were texting and emailing me. I, and, and, you know, I appreciated everything, every kind thing people were saying. And I, and I, and I answered the phone one time, I was laying in bed, my eyes were closed. And it was my insurance agent wanting to talk to me about some insurance. And I'm like, that was the last thing in the world I want to talk about right then, you know. And um, she's kind of going through a little spiel. Real nice lady. And, uh, and, and I said, you know what, I, I, I'm so sorry, Beth, but I, I've got COVID right now. And I'm just really feeling poorly. Could you call me maybe another week or two? And, and, and maybe I'll be feeling better. and We can talk about these things. And um, she said, I'm so sorry. Sorry I bothered you. And, uh, and you just get better, okay? She called me today. And she said, I didn't call to sell you any insurance. I just called to check on you. She said, last time I talked to you, you were pretty sick. I just wanted to make sure you made it all the way through. I said, I did. She said, if you do have a desire to talk to me about anything, I'm available to you. I said, you know, it's going to be a little bit. I'm... Um, thinking about all that's in front of us with Easter and wanting to, to really be at my best through this season for the Lord and for our church. And the lady began to say, you know, um, I understand that. She said, my husband and I are Catholic. And on Palm, uh, or uh, on Easter Sunday, my husband is getting baptized in the Catholic church. And... Uh, she said, we're the youngest people in the whole church. You know, 49 years old, we're the youngest people in the whole church. And, and it's a really big deal because they haven't had anybody baptize her in a long time. So everybody's going to come together, watch her husband get baptized. And, uh, and I said, you know, sometime I'd like to talk to you about more than insurance. I just want to talk to you about the things of the Lord. And just show you how baptism is important to the Lord, but it's not essential for your salvation. She didn't like to talk about that sometime. And, and then you know what she said to me? She said, Pastor, she called me Pastor. She's a Catholic woman. She said, don't worry about what you got in front of you. God's got this. He always has. And, and you know, I said, thank you for reminding me of that. And she said, I hope you have a great day. I said, you know, thanks for your call. She said, can I call you back in a few weeks? I said, that'd be fine. I said, if I don't call you first. And listen, she didn't have a quickened spirit. But her little S spirit was trying to be an encouragement. And I thought, you know, God forbid that a Catholic woman would be of more encouragement than someone who's been quickened in their spirit and has been called to be an encourager in these latter days. And, and folks, it needs to be your mission every day to encourage someone in the Lord. When you do that, guess who gets the glory for it? God, because you know, typically you know who you're pointing people to? The Lord. Not, you can call me, I've got broad shoulders. 
you know, tap into the source of all wisdom and knowledge. I'd be happy to counsel you, become your life coach, because I've got it all together, you know. I know some people that it's their life ambition to become the mentor of everybody with problems. I do. I know people, they go around looking for that all the time, you know, hey, I'll mentor you, you know. And I don't know if it's a feather in their cap or whatever. But, you know, look, if people don't think I'm smart, that's okay. I just want them to think that I have a wonderful Savior. Because it's not really all about me. And so you know what I want to do? I want to say, man, isn't God good? You know, God really used you today, Brother Scott. You know, you're an encouragement to my heart. Thank you. To God be the glory. Because the Lord knows you don't have any in there. <laughs> But you see, God wants to take a nothing and and then bring to nothing that which people think is something, you know. But hey, listen, folks, just decide that before you leave today, you're going to just say a kind word, be encouragement to somebody. Just decide that you're going to glorify God in your spirit. You're going to say a kind and a positive word, point others to Jesus, glorify God with your attitude, your disposition. It's a choice you have to make. But man, God loves it. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So if you're down in the dumps, you're crying, you, you, you just have a sour puss, don't stay away from the people of God and the house of God. You need to come because that's God's prescriptive to kind of help pull you out of that. Okay? And I know a lot of people, that's what they do. They draw the blinds, they turn off the lights, they turn on the TV, and they sit there and eat Rocky Road ice cream or whatever whatever it is that's their comfort food. And I remember I was on visitation one day. You don't care about this, but I think it's funny. But I was on visitation, I and I called upon a lady in the church, and she was going through a season of depression. When I knocked on the door, her son invited me in, and the room was totally dark. Okay. And the only light on in the whole house was the TV set. Okay, And it was probably good that I couldn't really see the rest of the house too much because it wasn't really very clean. And this lady was sitting there. And how many of you have seen these big popcorn bowls? Big popcorn bowls. And they're deep and wide, deep and wide. You know, and they hold a lot. And the thing was filled with spaghetti noodles to overflowing. And it's like she dumped a whole bottle of Prego on top of it and some meatballs in a popcorn bowl. She was sitting in front of the TV and she was eating that spaghetti. <laughs> and I thought, that's comfort food right there. So I thought, you know, if we ever have a have a funeral need to serve comfort food, we could serve pasta, right? I, I, I had this conversation many years ago when people said, we'll have soup and sandwiches for a luncheon after a funeral. I said, that is not comfort food. That is a starvation diet, right? That's not going to comfort anybody's heart. So we, we want to encourage people with things like pasta, but we're not going to give them a popcorn bowl size serving, right? <laughs> Let's be encouraged in the Lord. Let's glorify God with our spirit, our attitude and disposition, how we interact with one another. And, and I think it would be a wonderful thing for you and the people that you interact with.
Lord God, thank You for this time together. Thank You for these sweet people. Bless them in wonderful ways. Lord, as we move ahead towards Easter, I pray that it would be a glorious celebration in Your house with many, many gathering together with us and help us each tonight to leave here more determined than ever to glorify You with our spirit. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.